Mud Stories, Episode 63. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I spent so much energy believe in the lie that God wanted me to have it all together and just kind of check in for five minutes. And he was so proud that, you know, he didn't really have to spend much time with me that I kind of had everything together, just a quick Mm -hmm. check in because I didn't know what it was like to just be this needy, desperate in this needy, desperate place for a savior. But that's where we've learned he wants Mm -hmm. us and the fruit of life really comes from that. What's interesting, if somebody had said to me, pre everything coming out with Trey and I, if I had shame in my life, I would have said absolutely not. And the reason for that is when your righteousness is found in what you do, then if there's ever the shame that begins to bubble up, you just start doing more. And so you keep that shame at such a low level because of what you're doing, your righteousness is being found in what you do, that I honestly, it took recovery for me to go, oh my gosh, I do have shame. I'm a big mess of shame. And so I'm grateful for that because I can't imagine what life had been like, you know, in another 20 years had I not seen that. You know, we, we seem to always learn the hard way, don't we, Dave? <laughs> We're good at that. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments. Hope to make it through your mud an encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so glad you're here. And if you are returning, welcome back. And if this is your first time joining me, I'm so thankful you've chosen to take time out of your day and spend it here with me. I look forward to meeting you here each and every week. And today is no exception. I'm super excited about the guests who are going to be sharing with us today. But before I get to them, I wanted to catch you up a little bit. If you have not had the chance to hear the last two episodes of the podcast, episode 61 and 62, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes. Episode 61, I share my personal mud story in a very vulnerable and raw and actually it was unplanned, but I just turned record on and shared with you from my heart and uh You know, I just have to say thank you so much to each and every one of you who've reached out to me with encouraging words and a warm, welcoming heart. Uh, It meant so much to me and has meant so much to me, just the receptivity and the love that I've received from you. I'm so, so thankful. And yeah, it was risky to put myself out there, but I am so very glad I did. And it just confirmed to me again what a wonderful community we're building together, you and me. Uh, this messy, muddy, you know, wrestling match that we do each and every week with our stories. And, uh, you know, just facing whatever it is life is throwing our way and remembering and reminding each other together that God is with us. We are not alone. We're together and he leaves no thing unredeemed. And so episode 61, you can listen to that um, at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 61. I also introduce in that episode the focus of our concentration this particular month. And I've been writing on the blog every single day. And so if you've been missing some of that, I'd encourage 
encourage you to hop on over there and join our conversation. You can read all the posts are listed if you go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash before an affair. And so we're talking about these really hard topics of our thought life and comparison and and how our relationships can do this slow fade and and the things that I really wish looking back I could have known and the things that I would like you to know. And so, you know, it's been a sweet time of writing and reflection and I'm so glad that you've joined me and you've shown up. And uh, so I look forward to continuing that with you this month. Um, If you missed episode 62, I interviewed Amy J. Bennett, and she shared all about her story of an emotional entanglement and connection and affair. And she's written a super awesome ebook about that. And so if that's the stage that you're facing right now in your mind and thought life, that's an awesome resource for you. Today, I'm being joined by Trey and Melody Lovern, and you have to know, I have been so excited to share them with you ever since meeting them online. I've never gotten the privilege to meet them in person, but I hope to someday. I'm so thankful for their story and their ministry, and I think you're going to be too. Trey and Melody reside in Birmingham, Alabama. They are the parents of four young adult kids, two in high school, two in college. They run a full-time nonprofit ministry called Undone Redone, and that is exactly their message. Their tagline is, life is messy, bring your boots. I can't believe what an awesome match that is to mud stories, you know, messy, muddy boots, and uh, they dive right in, and they are not shy to call things like they are and to own their mess and their mistakes and their brokenness. And it's just a beautiful thing when we can get real and transparent with each other. And we can just lay it out on the table and say, you know what? I'm not perfect. The ways that I had been thinking, the ways I viewed the world, the ways I saw God, I've come to know aren't the way it really is. And I've gone through brokenness and healing and recovery, and I'm waking up every single day and doing the work that recovery demands. And God is walking with me in our weakness. God is strong and uh, just so much hope and encouragement. Now, Trey and Melody have a passion for being unmasked, for uh, being real and authentic and honest, and their story is one that's hard. It's um, got a lot of twists, a lot of turns, and for that reason, this is going to be part one of a two-part episode that I have with them, a conversation, a long conversation we had, what a blessing it was, and so today you're going to hear part one of their story, and then next week on episode 64, I'm going to bring them back, and we're going to hear the conclusion of their story, and I hope you'll set aside time to join me next week to do that, but today I can't wait, I don't want to delay anymore. I want to get right to our conversation. And it's my hope and prayer that whatever you're facing today, as it is each and every week, whatever it is you're facing, that you're going to see some of your own self in Trey and Melody's story, no matter what kind of component it is. It doesn't mean that you've had to have experienced the exact same thing that they have, but I think we can relate to each other's stories. And that's why we do this podcast. It's not just to hear an entertaining story with a lot of mud. It's to see ourselves in one another's stories and to know, number one, there is nothing God will leave unredeemed, and number two, that we're not alone. And so without further delay, I am so thrilled to bring to you part one of my conversation with Trey and Melody 
Lovern. Enjoy. Trey and Melody, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I can't be more thrilled that you're here. Well, we're glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're super excited to be here with you today. Uh, well, I couldn't have been more happy to find you and your podcast and your ministry. Thankfully, Trey reached out and sent me a message on email. I think we we are part of a similar podcast group online, and, mm-hmm. and um, it was just such a delight to discover you through the power of technology. And I will say I'm a, I've become a big fan and I'm just so thankful you said yes and that you're here to share your mud story with us today. Well, it is definitely, definitely mutual. We, we love your podcast and love the interviews because I think what we now can start doing is just sharing guests because (laughs) the the stories that you're telling and the stories we're wanting to tell uh, are very, very similar, no doubt. Definitely. No Definitely. doubt. We're we're kindred grace friends, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to get right to your story because it's muddy and messy, and yet God has done incredible, beautiful redemption in your lives, and it's just such a gift to behold. But before we get to that, I would love it if you would introduce yourself to um, the audience and just tell us about your family and where you live and what you guys love to do. Okay. Oh, um, yes, we uh, we live in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, Trey and I have four children ages 20 to 15. Uh, we have a freshman, excuse me, we have a sophomore and a junior in college, and we have a sophomore and junior in high school. So, and they go girl, boy, boy, girl. And so we stay pretty involved with four, almost still four, four teenagers. Yeah, yeah. and there we, we so, went to Samford University, and yes. our two oldest are now at Samford, which is a... Um, Baptist liberal liberal arts school here in mm-hmm. Birmingham. So oh, okay. We, yeah. so they, I went to a similar school. Ours, yeah. The one I went to is Azusa Pacific University. Oh, yeah. 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 I remember so. seeing the ads in some of the magazines as a kid that I would, yeah. the, the, some of the Christian. Yeah. Uh, so probably similar. So how fun they're there. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're close, but yet far enough away that they, they, they felt like they feel they like they're in there. college. Yeah. 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 Well, parenting adolescence is such a challenge, isn't it? But it's fun um, too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We just had homecoming with the two youngest two this past mm-hmm. weekend and volleyball to, tournaments. Yeah. We're in the thick of volleyball tournaments. And, so very, um, very active household. Definitely. Yes. Um, Melody's a tennis player. You didn't say that. You got yeah. tennis stuff. Going Actually, on. kind of our whole family plays tennis. Um, one of the things that I picked up uh, when Trey and I were divorced, but our whole family really loves to to do that and really anything outside. We like to play outdoor beach volleyball and just a little bit of anything that gets us outside. Yeah. And playing together connects us. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We just recently need to make time to play. Yeah. Sometimes uh, with <laughs> launching Melody's course. And so we're, we're kind of coming out of that now back to hopefully back to playing mode. Yep. Yes. So we love big, football too. Yeah. Big football fans. We're, we're Alabama fans. So we've had a lot to cheer about over the last few years. So we love yeah. the SEC especially and you know, just college football in general. Mm-hmm. So just typical, typical Alabama family around here. Nothing, nothing much to tell, I guess. So fun. <laughs> no, a ton, of, a ton to tell. And, and I love how connected you are as a family. I, it's not something that happens by accident. It's something sure. I know that you work on and, and we should all be working on. Yeah. So take us back and tell us where your mud began. I know you all met at Samford uh, mm-hmm. in college. Maybe you can pick up there and, and begin to share with us the mud that you faced along the way and all the twists and turns that you've taken. Well, at Sanford, um, I, I landed there in 1989, and I'd grown up in a really small town, and 
I, I refer to the small town because loved it growing up, but there is something about growing up in a place where everybody literally knows everybody mm-hmm. yeah. that really led to a lot of the, um, the hiding and mask wearing that I learned and, you know, really wanted to, to be pleasing to the Lord, do all the right things. And, and so the paradigm for me, um, growing up and then especially as I got to Samford was Christians have it together and where they don't, they work on those areas in secret until they do. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I brought to Samford. I was, um, I was a basketball player and a football player and, um, had an opportunity to come and, and walk on and play basketball, had opportunities to play at some smaller schools um, that were a little closer to home. But I was so ready uh, to get out of the small town and to get to Birmingham, even though Birmingham's not a huge town. Uh, when you grow up in a town of 117, it doesn't take a lot to be a big <laughs> town. <laughs> so, uh, so I was ready to get yeah. uh, kind of start over. But it, it was really a time to be known, I thought, as well. But I quickly got labeled as the incoming freshman that had preached in over 200 churches because I started preaching when I was 15 in high school. And so it was like, well, wow, I can't, I can't let these guys down. I can't let them know of my struggle. And for me, uh, that struggle, uh, significant struggle in my life was um, pornography, internet pornography. And um, I was exposed when I was eight years old and nobody knew. It was something that I kept a secret. Again, one of those things I thought you had to um, just work on in secret because nobody was talking about it. So mm-hmm. I, as far as I knew, I was the only Christian man who was struggling. And my theology, my paradigm was to know better is to do better. Well, knowing better was not equating into better behavior. And so I didn't know what to do with that other than just work harder, work harder on the pristine mask that I was projecting. But all the while, there was a lot of shame. Uh, I didn't know to call it shame at the time, but so that I met Melody at that point um, where I basically, I guess, consciously, it's almost like, okay, there's another layer of my mask now. I can't, Mm. I can't be known here. I've got to just layer up and um, not let these guys down. Protective in a sense. That's right. Just started working harder. Yeah. And I would say for me, um, I was eight hours away from home and, you know, I, I don't know. I grew up in a home that was very protective and image conscious and really, I think, believed as a Christian that I was supposed to be all things to all people. And Mm -hmm. so um, really came to Sanford, really desiring to experience some freedom outside the walls, I guess, for lack of a better word. But coming with my twin sister, um, she was really shy. So I felt like I was just I don't know. I loved being at Sanford. I love being away from home and I'm kind of a free spirit, but Sanford um, allowed me the opportunity to have still some structure. And, um, you know, Trey and I met, I was a junior and he was a freshman. So it took me a little while to, to figure out that. <laughs> Cue the older, uh, <laughs> older women. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so, um, but really I, I would say that, you know, both of us, grew up with this paradigm that, you know, we really wanted to please the Lord. And I always felt like I was as authentic as I knew to be. Um, but I think if there was somebody in the, in the room that sang better or maybe knew more scriptures, um, was more athletic than me, that would challenge that. But it, for me, it was just like, okay, work harder, you know, and, and try to attain, um, you know, a higher goal to, to be all things to all people, you know, both of us really, 
really desired to please the Lord, um, but it was we did to please the Lord instead of the paradigm that we believe now is the finished work, work of Christ is done, and therefore, you know, we walk in obedience out of that. We can um, we can rest and yeah. be, and that and that's really a big part of our our awakening in a yeah. sense is is learning just to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I would read the scripture, "Be still and know that I am God," but. You know, I was like, yeah, 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 but okay, as I'm, as <laughs> I'm doing, you know, yeah, give me something do else to do. Yeah. And and I think to to really clarify my own <clears throat> paradigm, and this is this is something in our recovery communities we share, like tonight we'll be leading groups and um, in our orientation time with anybody who's new, mm-hmm. we'll be sharing um, this paradigm shift. But for me, it was God is over there, my sin is here, and then I'm on the other side of my sin. So my sin separates me from God. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was my job to go over, around, or through that sin because I knew I wanted a relationship with God, and I really knew He wanted a relationship with me. I just felt like it was my job to deal with the sin in my life, that He had He had done His part at salvation. And somewhere along the way, I picked up that sanctification was my thank you to God for my justification. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of saved by grace and nothing that I could do to earn, but then sanctified by sweat and effort. Mm-hmm. Like and, you had to make God happy or perform for him. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's right. I think Trey saw him more on the athletic field and I saw him more in the audience. You know, I was, I sang and led worship and things like that. And so yeah. really just, he's out there and we're just, we're putting it all out there in hopes that he's going to, you know, say, well done, well done, well done. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a passive, he's a passive observer. And yeah. so we're, we're con- it's like you constantly perform, and then you're looking back over your shoulder, looking at him to see if he gives you a thumbs up or yeah. thumbs down. Mm-hmm. What an exhausting treadmill! I think, <laughs> I think people listening are gonna be nodding their heads. Yeah, because I think it's I don't know where we picked that up, but man, it's dangerous. Mm. Yeah, and you well, don't know it, you know. Right, you're just doing fun. the best you can. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I think it comes, we know our, our pastor, uh, Bob Flayhart, we've had on our show a, a couple of times. He um, he says that we're the church of the latter half saints. And we, we, we know what the imperative commands are, the dues of scripture. That's pretty clear. We know what God's standard is. But I think what we miss is how do we do it? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so then we just, in our self-sufficiency, we say, okay, I just got to work work mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. But it's actually through surrender. And that that's been really the big transformation mm-hmm. us is is learning what active surrender looks like because mm-hmm. i'd always as a performer surrender meant giving up and, it was and weakness I, yeah that yeah. was weakness. Yeah. And that's not an option but now to realize you know all those passages of paul that his powers made perfect in our mm-hmm. weakness that we can now boast in our weakness that we can connect with others in weakness and that's where healing community really takes place mm-hmm. it's yes. it's really a game changer mm-hmm. absolutely Absolutely. So you are coming to Sanford with these paradigms, mm-hmm. both carrying your own baggage, and you fall in love. What happens next? And we just lived happily ever after. I make it sound I mean, so, you know, slow motion running across yeah. the football yeah, field, right? I mean, I, <laughs> we did, I, I actually. I literally thought we, I mean, I think we, we, we did. It was almost like, okay, here's this guy who's going to help me save the world, you know. And well, well and guy, he's going to meet your needs, too, and he's going to be right. everything for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Melody sang. She was a vocal performance major, and I, I was preaching and religion major, and so we were literally just going to save the world. And, yeah. and at that point, you know, Melody didn't know about my struggle. I never shared with her um, until after we were married. Actually, I never shared. She actually mm-hmm. found out after we were married. 
Uh, I was too much of a coward to share the truth, but mm-hmm. we did fall in love. We met in a cave, actually. That's a story. Mud. Mud. <laughs> yeah. So literally, so this goes well with your mud story. Nice. Thanks here, for weaving two, that in. That's that's, that's right. excellent. So we're we're two hours deep. My freshman year, Melody, as you said, was a junior. Um, I'm in the dorm and some guys come through. I think it's like on a Friday, maybe mm-hmm. nothing's really going on on campus. Yep. They say, Hey, you want to go caving with us? Palunkin, I think and I was what like, said. what in the world is that? So <laughs> there's this old civil war ammo dump that the entrance had been blown up years and years ago. Well, one of the guys in the fraternity I was in had found this cave down in downtown Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And so there's about 30 of us yeah. um, who went. And it was about a two by two hole. So yeah, I mean, it's so not like you just walked in it. And so okay. you're down, oh, my. You're down underwater. I mean, you got, you're literally going through water up to your neck and mm-hmm. I mean, then it opens back up. So we're two hours deep in this cave. Yeah. We all turn our flashlights out and Jackie, it's the blackest black oh you can ever imagine mm-hmm. because it's I'm not terrified like just hearing it. Yeah. Your, your eyes can't adjust <laughs> because there's no light to adjust to. It is pitch dark. Well, Melody, I didn't know Melody. She's, you know, there's like 30 something of us. I didn't know everybody on this thing. So she picks up a big handful of Mud and this is and the interesting part of this mud. It's like there's no silt in it. It's mm-hmm. like this sticky, this, this oh. sticky, ooey mud. Well, she picks it up awesome. and throws. <laughs> and she throws it uh, at somebody else. Well, it misses and it literally hits me in the ear. Oh. So, so that was really our first meeting. Is her tossing mud across the cave? And there so, you go, girl, putting your best foot right. forward. <laughs> that's right. It's all over. And it was love at first sight. After that, no, we uh, <laughs> we started dating not long after that. I guess it was the next semester. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had to get over that he was a baby, and then you know. Then oh yeah, know. yeah, underclassmen, those underclassmen. That's right. Yeah. Underclassmen. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So that we met, and um, we were going to a church that just started here, a really um, exciting church. So mm-hmm. we were part of that. We joined, and there were like sixty members. Yeah. And it's now a large church, well known here in Birmingham. But um, we were, it was kind of our paradigm still, life's clean and neat. You do all the right things and it just all works out. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did get married my junior year, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy because my daughter told me this weekend, she said, Dad, do you realize that uh, I would be getting married like <laughs> next January? Um, it's crazy. Actually, she's already older I think, than me. Isn't She'll that crazy? So I was, yep. I was Middle of her junior year. Yeah, so she's actually older than now than I was when we got married, which I can't imagine. Makes you cringe, my, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah my parents yeah. are actually downstairs right now. I wanted to say, <laughs> what were y'all thinking? Letting me, letting me get married. That it's crazy. But um, also with my the lie that I believe too, and, and this is pretty common, most of the guys who come through our recovery groups, I thought that marriage was going to fix my problem. Mm-hmm. Because, your pornography problem. Yeah, the right. pornography yeah. problem. And um, and it didn't. And when we got married, I just remember being so disillusioned. And I was like, it was like, oh, my gosh, now what I'm going to do. And and also now the new stresses of being married and the pressures. Mm-hmm. Because when you're a performer and you've got to have all the answers, then it's pretty tough. And, and now what we know and we teach in a lot of our, our marriage stuff is that God changes us in community. And there is no closer community than husband and wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to hide behind a mask, <laughs> yeah. you know, that didn't work too well. When now there's somebody else in close proximity mm-hmm. uh, to where you're living. Well, because you have and, to show up to be seen. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what intimacy is and, and being known. Well, we were, you know, we were so good at hiding behind the, the mask. You know, mm-hmm. that there's obviously a hindrance there to true, truly being known and truly intimate there. But um, that's when my addiction really um, hit 
because I was still in school and I was an English minor. So writing a, a lot of papers, Melody would go to sleep because she was teaching school by this time. And that's where I found the internet chat rooms and just trying to, trying to validate myself, trying to really, I, I think looking back, honestly, I was find, trying to find a release valve of some mm-hmm. sorts to the pressure and all the inner angst and all the things. It's like a, kind of like a beach ball. Mm-hmm. If you're in the pool in the, in the summer and you got this big beach ball and you're trying to hold it underwater, you know, all mm-hmm. these years of performance and, and this mask wearing, this pristine reputation and managing that reputation it was just, it was exhausting, as you as you said, but it was trying to keep that down and just over time, the pressure of that and mm-hmm. then planning a church when I was 20 during this time. Mm-hmm. My, my parents were in part of that church. My youth director growing up was my worship pastor and we were getting there and running bulletins. We're doing everything. Yeah, and crazy. it was just a, a great formula for burnout, definitely, mm-hmm. but no older people speaking into our lives. Yeah. Um, Nobody really mentoring us. Yeah, and part of that's because we didn't know we needed a mentor. Right, because you know, we we're, we're going to save the world. Yeah, we, we had, we had <laughs> yep. to, all we need is Jesus. We've got Jesus, right. so so here we go. And and it's and it's kind of another misinterpretation of Scripture for me. Galatians two, where Paul says he's dead in Christ. I remember as a kid thinking, okay, you know, dead people don't have rights or, and needs, so I'll just you know, I'm just my job is to meet everybody's need. You know, mm-hmm. and just kind of not have needs myself. Well, one day it dawned on me when I was near burnout, I was like, wait a minute, if Christians aren't supposed to have needs, then why are all these people that I'm meeting the needs of have needs? <laughs> you know, it's like I'm spending all exactly. my time with their needs. And and so just a recovery for us, I think is uh, speak mm-hmm. for Melody too, has helped both of us understand that to be needy is to be human mm-hmm. and and that as God, as Christ said uh, to the disciples, the kingdom is built uh, around children children are needy actually the greek word there is infants Mm -hmm. yeah there's nothing an infant if it's anything is a bundle of needs and here he said the kingdom is built on this and so i spent so much energy believing the lie that god wanted me to have it all together and just kind of check in for five minutes and he was so proud that you know he didn't really have to spend much time with me that i kind of had everything together just a quick Mm -hmm. Mm check-in because i didn't know what it was like to just be this needy desperate in this needy, desperate place for a savior. But that's where we've learned he wants Mm -hmm. us and the fruit of life really comes from that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think just to add that, you know, I know we've always heard the, the joy, you know, Jesus, others, you, but you know, when Christ says love, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. One of the things that Trey and I've really learned from is that we have to give from an overflow. So it's really Jesus and then me, I've got to, I've got to take care of me. And then I give from that overflow. Mm. So it's really Jesus, you others. Um, and so it comes from a real healthy place instead of, you know, Trey and I've learned the hard way, you know, when there's nothing left in the cup and you continue to give, that's where you reach burnout. And right. so, you know, we, we seem to always learn the hard way, don't we, babe? <laughs> we're, we're good at that. And then we tell I think we all are. <laughs> other people can learn yeah. from our mistakes. That's so. right. That's right. Well, but what I'm hearing you say is this whole scenario, like the mix of the pot, set you up for a lot of shame and a lot of pain and nowhere to really let that out combined with this perfect storm of, I think we're talking about mid nineties, right? The internet is just starting to boom and uh, you know, pick it up from there and like how that started the spiral. 
Well, and one of the things that's really interesting, because, um, you know, I walk with a lot of ladies in, in the aftermath of having discovered betrayal, and they have shame when it's all come out, you know. But what's interesting, if somebody had said to me, pre everything coming out with Trey and I, if I had shame in my life, I would have said, absolutely not. Yeah. And the reason for that is when you're, when your um, righteousness in, is found in what you do, then if there's ever the shame that begins to bubble up, you just start doing more. And so you keep yeah. that shame at such a low level mm-hmm. because of what you're doing, your righteousness is being found in what you do that I honestly, it took recovery for me to go, Oh my gosh, I do have shame. (laughs) I'm a big mess of shame. Yeah. I'm a big mess of shame. And so I'm grateful for that because I can't imagine what life had been like, you know, in another 20 years, had I not seen that. Well, and Melody, talk a little bit about what you mean by shame, because I think what you mean is not feeling enough. That that yeah. little voice that says, who do you think you are? You're never going right. to measure up. You're, it's, it's not that your behavior is bad. It's that this underlying tone that you believe you could be the bad. Yes. You know? Yeah. Shame is, you know, guilt is I made a mistake and shame is I am a mistake. Right. And because I did find a lot of my significance in what I did, um, and really partly who I was too, you know, I wanted to be a wife and I wanted to be a mother and, you know, I wanted to be a great friend and just, you know, so many things, um, that it really, it didn't allow me to, I, I remember, let me, catch a squirrel moment for a second. I remember sure. Nate Larkin on one of our early podcasts, and, I, and I'm totally paraphrasing this, but I remember him talking about almost like as if a, a car wreck had happened and you were in the hospital bed and you couldn't do anything. When I can totally get in touch with shame, it's when, if I were that person, laying in the bed, everybody's having to take care of me and there's nothing that I'm doing to contribute. That's when I can truly get in touch with shame because- yeah. I, it even strips today, it all it, away. Yeah. It strips it all away. And so that really, it's those types of visuals that help me get in touch with. It's not about what I do. And it's not about who I am as it relates to, you know, Trey's wife or the kid's mom. It's, you know, my significance is who, whose I am. And right. when, when I get my identity from Christ and I walk out of that place, it's a game changer. Well, and now you've learned post-recovery. I mean, it takes recovery for us to realize what triggers our shame and to be aware, oh, I'm hitting a shame moment right now. Like I need to figure out how to, you know, Brene Brown's new book, Rising Strong. Have you read it? No, I'm not read right. Uh, uh-uh. I have it on audiobook. It is incredible. She talks all about this so good. I, not another squirrel moment here. <laughs> but works. what you're saying is resonating with exactly what she says. And it is we have to we have to realize when we get into a shame moment. We have to be willing to take a risk and be vulnerable with our own hearts and say, you know, I am not feeling enough right now. What is this about? And feeling those emotions, we need to dis- make a decision to get curious about them and really flesh them out in time and and figure out what stories we're making up telling ourselves so that we can see it and move through it instead of be in denial and have it manifest itself in really um, un- unsafe and dangerous ways. Yeah. And I think just the fact that Brene Brown is so popular right now yeah. really says so much about what God is doing culturally, I think I mean, her platform uh, is shame. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's something that resonates with the human heart with what she's saying. Mm-hmm. And and I think so much of, uh, let's say just the evangelical church for years, 
I don't think there's been a space really to admit that there was shame. Yeah. I know certainly that was a part of our right. story. Mm-hmm. We didn't know to call it that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just all about having your theology right and what you said you believed. But there was this practical level of the way we were actually behaving in this kind of this unhealthy dance that everybody seemed to have. But it was all around this this concept of shame that yeah. nobody was talking about, but it was impacting everything. And so the fact that now we are beginning to learn how it does impact us, I call it the ache of the soul. Mm-hmm. It's like in growing up in a home where positive emotions were the only things really allowed, there was no space really for the quote unquote, the negative emotions, being able to feel the full range of emotions mm-hmm. and to be fully human in that. Um, I think part of what I grew up in is, and, and what led to a lot of the shame is I'm not doing it right. Therefore I'm not right. Mm-hmm. And, but then I got to cover that up because mm-hmm. I can't let you know that that's true about me. And so there, there was so much work and effort to keep that mask mm-hmm. in place. And the fact that now we can just give space to that mm-hmm. and to, and talk openly about shame, I think, now we're beginning to to see a culture that's being created where now we can, as believers, connect at weakness and let the gospel really do the work in us. Um, James 5, can confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you, you may be, be healed. healed. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And see, that was, that was so far into the paradigm I grew up in. Nobody was confessing sin. Mm-hmm. If, as a matter of fact, if anybody was talking about sin, it was way, way, way in the past. Yeah. And and being a present tense sinner in a past tense culture, it was like that there was the shame. Wait, what's wrong with me that everybody yeah. else seemed to get fixed at salvation and I didn't? Well, and you're not choosing to be vulnerable because your vulnerability is a weakness. That's right. And then if you did take the risk, you're shamed, you know. That's right. And then uh, so you feel alone. So Trey Explain to us where this spiral then led to, because you were suppressing a lot, you're serving, you're busy, you you guys were, um, you know, in the flurry of all this activity, and yet the soul ache that you're experiencing, how did that beach ball pop up? What did it look like? Yeah, well, it came up, um, Melody found out about it in 2000, but I was, I was probably spiraling down. Um, yeah. The first affair uh, was in 1990. 96, 98, mm-hmm. 98. Um, well, I'm guessing you didn't just start by saying, Hey, I'm going to go find another live person. Like, no, what l- talk to us a little bit about what leads you to a place and then what happened. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mentioned the chat rooms and, and now, and, and I talked to a lot of men's groups and, and one of the things that I want men to get to the deeper heart levels, it's not just about, you know, the images or, or what we're craving, what we're really, it's an intimacy disorder. So what I was really craving was validation. Mm -hmm. And because uh, this, this question really is a man, do I have what it takes as a man, you know, and maybe even more fundamentally, am I a man? Yeah. And so if we don't, if our fathers maybe don't help us answer that, if we don't get that answered by 18 or 21, then so many men, you would go into the world and we're, we're hiding Mm-hmm. these vulnerable places. Yeah. We're kind of going places where we feel like there's a measure of success, high probability of success, and we're avoiding at all costs any area that we fear at some level might expose us for the fraud that we believe we are. And so there's there's kind of that lonely, isolated. So for the first 11 years of our marriage before our divorce, I was coming to Melody with this question. Mm-hmm. Well, Melody or any woman were not designed to help me answer that question or a man to answer that question. 
And so I was sucking the life out of her because in her codependency and a lot of her desire for pleasing and being a good wife, she was trying to help me answer that question. But it just put took us in this very, very unhealthy dance as we're trying to come through for each other. And God never intended that. He wanted us to run to him. Mm -hmm. So then I ran to chat rooms, the pornography, because that would help me feel like a man. I could just show up. She's always smiling. She's always glad to see me. There's no nothing really I had to do there uh, to, to feel like a man, you know, but that was very fleeting. And then ultimately that would lead to, to great diminishment and more shame and yeah. more pain, which would lead to more acting out to numb that, that feeling. So yes, all the, all the vows that I made and lines that I drew in the sand that I would never cross, I crossed almost all of those. Hmm. The big one being adultery. Cause for the longest time, even though there was shame around it, part of the way I'd sell it to myself, well, it's just pornography. Nobody's getting hurt. Right. You know, it's just it's images. Private. At least, mm -hmm. at least mm -hmm. it's not a, an affair. But it, it doesn't stop there. Like any addiction, you know, the whole brain science is really catching up with this, with the dopamine, serotonin, mm -hmm. oxytocin, and those dopamine receptors. And it mm -hmm. takes more and more and more yep. uh, to get the same effect. And so, and, and with the internet now, there's an endless supply literally yeah. uh, of at, images. The at the click of a button that's right yeah, and yeah. it's it's the drug of choice you don't have to work for it yes yeah, drug right. of choice because you don't have to with the internet nobody there's no immediate side effects nobody else has to know um so so that just with the spiral but i remember it was the saturday actually about this time of year saturday morning i had been in these chat rooms and had various people that i'd met there Melody had gone to the grocery store and I remember the laptop there in our bedroom on the desk and the common familiar tone comes up that I had an instant message and with the cursor clicking, it simply said, I can be in Birmingham tonight if you want me to be. Hmm. And that was that moment of decision because, you know, it was like, okay, this is the line that I swore that I would never cross. Mm -hmm. But I guess to be really, really vulnerable there was a part of that, even though I did not want to do that, there was the part of me that she was actually, this particular female was in Kentucky and there was something, this is just speaking to my own brokenness and my own need for validation. The fact that a female was actually willing to drive from Kentucky, mm -hmm. there was something in that, that it, it just made it hard in that broken place to say no. Well, it and, fed your uh, ego. It yeah. Did. It made you feel worth worthy. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. so that night I had my uh, first of seven one night stands and, um, you know, then it was like the secret's gotten so big. How am I ever going to mm. tell, you know, and, and the so shame, the mm -hmm. shame of that. So I can't uh, ever imagine, you know, someone else knowing, uh, knowing those secrets, but, uh, Trey, can you pause just a minute and sure. explain, I think to wives out there, um, and, and maybe to some men who maybe not, might not understand what they're going through right now, but you know, you say one night stand, help us understand how the progression differs toward that versus an ongoing, emotionally connected, adultery experience? Because I'm guessing they're a little different and maybe the recovery might be different or maybe it wouldn't. I need your help helping us unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I think there's some similarities, some differences. Mine, mine were all non-emotional because I really wasn't looking to replace Melody at all. There, it was, it was more just this this sense of, of needing validation. Yeah. But first of all, it's just that wife to tell her whichever it is, it's really not there's nothing she could do 
you know, to change what's going on. It's, you know, this more than likely predated her mm-hmm. um, in the relationship, something that he was dealing with uh, before um, they got married. And, you know, there's nothing you, you think if I was prettier, if I was skinnier, if I was, you know, younger or whatever. And, um, and that's such a cruel uh, treadmill uh, mm-hmm. to be on. But for, I guess with the emotional, I think for the healing process, it, it's probably a little bit harder to get past that because of the the connecting yeah. uh, from an emotional standpoint, mm-hmm. and that that there's more than just you know images to to compete with, or more than just the the physical act, but there was more bonding on an emotional level. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, we we've, we've got friends. There's been healing on that side as well. Yeah. It's not like mm-hmm. it's it's impossible, right? But I do believe um, for the for the woman who's beginning this healing from betrayal. I think it does offer uh, some extra hurdles to get mm-hmm. to get over and through uh, because of those emotional attachments. And also, I think even for the guy who was emotionally involved or maybe even the guy who never was physical um, and maybe say, well, oh, it's just an emotional affair. I think the case could be made. Certainly, it's as damaging. And sometimes mm-hmm. you can even say you know, the emotional ties may even be harder for her to get over. Yeah. Uh, because she does feel maybe like she was replaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Melody, during this time that Trey was descending into his um, further moments of shame and choices that were just putting him in a prison of, of guilt, how was life for you? You know, you guys have four kids. How did the kids fit in there? I know what it's like to have four kids in less than six years. That is a, a whirlwind. What did, what did it look like for you? Yeah. Um, I remember about seven years into our marriage, because this happened around 10 years um, of marriage. But I just remember, you know, there there were times where Trey and I, I mean, because I felt like we were best friends. We loved to play. We loved to do things. We worked with college kids. You know, we were doing all this stuff. Now, I did always feel like, why didn't he help me more around the house? Or why didn't he, why do I always have to tell him what to do? Why, why do I feel like sometimes I've got a fifth child instead of a fourth child? And, <laughs> you know, things like that. But I don't know what she's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> So, but emotionally, I felt like, you know, we would get to, we would go to this place, but we couldn't go any deeper. And I, and I, I, you know, Trey talks about now how, uh, you know, that I might be getting too close. And so he would just need to, you know, slowly kind of back up emotionally for me, but I, I would feel this. And I remember thinking about seven years in marriage, like, is this as good as it gets? You know, I mean, we've had, we have four kids at this point and just, Obviously, I'm I'm busy with with that, but just I don't know. Maybe recognizing some of the expectations that I thought we you know that we would enter in together, we we weren't. And um, but I would say that after everything came back, I could go okay. Now the loss of time or him not answering his phone calls or you know maybe he's going to work quote unquote late at the the office and I would bring food up there, you know, um, I never, there were very few times I would say that I didn't feel like enough. Maybe sexually, I didn't feel like I was enough because I really prided myself on being the perfect wife and mother. And, and again, mm-hmm. God had to blow up my paradigm too. Cause I thought that happens to women who don't take care of their husbands. So when obviously our, all of our stuff came out, I was like, okay, that doesn't work. You know, <laughs> you're like, I and, did the taken uh, care of and this still happened. What? Yes. What's up with and, that? And, yeah. Yeah. And and we realize now it has nothing to do with us. It doesn't matter right. if you're beautiful, if you're not beautiful, if you're smart, if you're not smart. I mean, there are plenty of situations where husbands and wives 
stay together in a committed relationship. And that never happens, no matter what you look like and, and what you don't. And then there's the, you know, Ty, Tiger Woods, who, you know, was married to a swimsuit model who is mm-hmm. gorgeous. And a lot of the women that he was with, I mean, you could say, so there's, it really is not about us. And so I just remember being devastated because it really did hit my do paradigm. And I was like, wait, you know, what did I do? What did I not do? You know, and I'd have these moments where I'm like, wait, I, I was great. I mean, like I'm a perfect, you know, wife and mother. And then, you know, it took counseling to reckon, to realize, wait, it has nothing to do with me. It's not my fault. This happened to me, not because of me. And that's huge, you know, and it takes a lot of work to get through that. Yeah. Um, Although so. I will say, Melody, do you find any time that it's really important for a partner who's been betrayed to really be willing to do some hard work to see, you know, affairs, unless you're a deviant psychopath, you don't, a person doesn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to cheat on my person. You know, there, it's a slow fade over time of a a disconnection, a lack of intimacy, not necessarily physically, but emotionally or mentally, or, you know, there's some nagging women out there uh, that, you know, and and it leaves us to be vulnerable in places that then we make poor choices with all our baggage going on too. And to be honest, we sometimes don't always show up and give our partner the most vulnerable aspect of ourselves to give them the tools to say, oh, you have that need. I'm happy and willing to meet it. So, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's complicated. It's, it is complicated. And, and, and I will say this, you know, I, I would have said I would never have had an affair or never, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you just have to lose that because, you know, it's as, as a parent, one of the things that we have, have told our kids is we're all one step away from stupid. And if we really recognize we're all ripe for an affair if we're not careful. And, you know, I would say that right before all of Trey's and my stuff came out, I remember, and again, and, you know, I didn't do anything or, you know, anything like that, but I remember right before Trey's and my stuff blew up, I remember taking my um, seven-year-old to the field that time, or maybe he was six, and he was playing t-ball, he was playing um, baseball. And I just remember getting so much attention from the coaches. And I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't the mom that like sat with the coaches right. or anything like that. You weren't that. even but soliciting I, it. Yeah. No, I was not even soliciting to it. But I I remember there was a time where I looked forward to going to the field because I got attention, yeah. you know? And so, you know, and that was right before Trey's and my stuff came out and everything kind of blew up. But that's how, that's how so easily it happens. And, you so know, Trey easy. and I both worked out in gyms and, and again, I'm, I've leaned probably toward the naive side. I'm not so much anymore, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but you just have to be careful. Yeah. But what that gives us, you know, and this is what we try to, we now understand in our own marriage and what mm-hmm. we try to teach, um, as we talk to couples about marriage is that whereas we spent so much time and energy trying to outperform each other, yes. uh, the first uh, 11 years in our remarriage, we are now trying because of the the new paradigm mm-hmm. and really the, the truth of the gospel is that now we can work to out repent each other mm-hmm. instead of outperforming each other. And, and so what that looks like when you mentioned Brene Brown a little bit and being able to recognize when that shame surfaces, now I can go to Trey and I can even bring him into that. Not that he has to rescue me for that or even have the things to say, but just to be able to go, you know, today I really don't feel like I'm enough. And mm-hmm. here's why. And here's what it looks like. Just to be able to bring somebody else into that. Now I'm not alone in my head. 
you know, alone as an orphan, not believing that I am the beloved daughter of the king that he says that I am. And now we get to walk in this together. And it could be a girlfriend. It doesn't even necessarily have to be Trey. Absolutely. Well, it sets it sets you up to receive empathy. And Brene Brown says empathy shatters shame. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I think for couples just to be able to get rid of this uh, tit for tat yes. that's so common. I know. Uh, you know, and if it's true that God uses community to bubble up our stuff and there is no closer community than husband and wife, then it makes sense that God is actually using our spouse in our own sanctification. Mm-hmm. And our flesh doesn't like that. Our, our flesh doesn't want our stuff revealed. You know, and we're spending so much energy often trying to cover things up. Yeah. But if we can just release that, take off the mask, Intimacy can begin to take place because now we can be fully known mm-hmm. uh, in that vulnerability, but also we can bring God into that and we can no longer hiding from him. And so now mm. true intimacy can begin to take place because we're not hiding from God. We're not hiding from our spouse. Mm-hmm. And so we can now begin to rest and just and learning now to mm-hmm. be instead of just as we spent so much energy on this performance treadmill for so many years, yeah. you know, trying to. Uh, convince God and everybody else how we had it together. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a game changer in marriage. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Melody, at some point you found out about what had been going on with Trey. Mm-hmm. And can you take us back to that day? Tell us how that happened and, and what happened after that? Yeah, it, um, it unfolded probably over the course of a week as far as just the information and, you know, this, this goes to show you kind of, uh, what the tread, you know, the performance treadmill that I was on, because I, I think it was like a Thursday night or whatever. And it was like the day before Christmas or a couple of days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, you know, finding a receipt in Trey's wallet, knowing that, wait, I do the grocery shopping. I know this can't, you know, can't be something that he did for the family. And so after confronting him, it took about 24 hours and, you know, when I said I was on my own performance treadmill, I had to sing at church that night, which is crazy to even think about. So I sang at church and then came home and I actually had him meet me at a girlfriend's house where I confronted him. And, Mm. you know, the truth came out, which was one, um, one night stand. And then a week later he had me meet in a counselor's office with him and he proceeded to tell me everything. And, you know, I I think I was, Mm. I was so in shock, you know, and it's not like, it's not like you can go away for two or three months to heal from this. You know, my kids were five, um, five, four, two and six months old. I was still breastfeeding. And Mm. so I just remember, I don't even know. I mean, I think, you know, life is just continuing to, to go on, but you're in slow motion. Everything's in slow motion. And like, you know, I didn't, I didn't entertain like, what am I going to do or where am I going to go? It just literally was like, feed the baby. (laughs) Right put food on the table. Yeah. You know, I, I do remember crying a lot. Hard um, to function. Yeah. Just difficult to function. Um, you know, I had, I had some good community around me. Thank the Lord, because I'm built for community. I, I don't know what I would do without people in my life. Um, and so the Lord was really sweet because we didn't, neither of us had family in town. And, um, so the Lord just really brought some safe friends around me to walk with me and that, you know, it really just becomes surviving one day at a time. Yeah. And and that's, that's really, I think what, what I did is just breathe, 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 (laughs) you know? Um, so you both entered into some counseling, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, 
as you said, when disclosure took place, it was with a therapist when mm-hmm. all the truth came out. One thing about my story is I went um, pretty soon after that to a four day intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in Minnesota and got some great clinical information at that intensive. But my paradigm was still to know better equals to do better. Mm-hmm. And so I made the mistake of instead of coming back and applying that and, and really getting into community and, and beginning to work a recovery program, I was looking for the missing information, which I thought I had found at this four day intensive. And so came back with this idea, oh, now that I found this information, I'll never act out again because now I really know better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, didn't plug into any type of community and I didn't, um, well, wasn't there really working. Was safe groups, right? Yeah. And it wasn't working any kind of program because I really yeah. didn't think I needed to. Mm-hmm. And it was a, we were separated for six months and then a year after get, coming back together is when I had another one night stand. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what led to our divorce in 2002. And so mm. just that's why our, our recovery communities, our whole ministry and recovery is built around its truth, but also community. Mm-hmm. We think both of those pieces are vitally important mm-hmm. to, to see lasting change takes place take place in our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, in working recovery, you speak about that term. Wondering yeah. if you can explain that because I've heard you describe that in that year you weren't really working recovery. Correct. Mm-hmm. You you believed the lie that well you had become enlightened, you got more knowledge, you got more truth, that's supposed to set you free. Still, mm-hmm. you know, remnants of performance mode, um masks. It's yeah. When we fail, it's just such a journey to get healthy again. Absolutely. And um, and so maybe speak a little bit to that and then what happened after the divorce. Yeah, well, working recovery is more, yeah, I was looking, I had a pristine reputation, a little blip on the map, and now I was working to try to fix it to get back into the mm-hmm. pristine reputation. Melody stayed, think, so you're good, that's you're right. moving so on. I, avoided, mm-hmm. I avoided, avoided divorce, which was my main my main motivation, so whew, missed that, so we're good now. And so we even started sharing our story a little bit, but it was now very quickly we painted ourselves into another corner of performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, really, I don't know that we ever knew a different paradigm. We were yeah. still performing. Right, right, right. So we were working to clean up that paradigm, you know, or, or here's the little mess part. So let's get back to our pristine paradigm. Yeah. Oh. And so I think, yeah, working recovery comes out of that new paradigm that mm-hmm. says, you know what? Sanctification is going to be taking place in my life for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So we see recovery and sanctification as synonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, I love um, Richard Rohr. He's got a book that we use a lot um, called Breathing Underwater. And it's his his journey into the 12 steps. It's a beautiful book. One of the things... Um, one of the things he shares is, you know, in, in a lot of churches, we got the main level Christians that have this attitude. I'm so glad I'm not like those Christians in the basement who need recovery. And the people in, <laughs> yeah, and the people in the basement often have the attitude, oh, I long for the day where I work enough recovery that mm-hmm. I can be back on the main level main floor, with everyone yeah. else. And he says, I love this line. He says, true spirituality is in the basement. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've discovered is that, you know, otherwise we are now just performing to kind of get back to the quote unquote normal. We, we long for the new normal mm-hmm. and our new normal with this grace paradigm in the gospel, I believe, which is spelled out very clearly. It's true is that the more we walk with Jesus, the more and more we see our brokenness and the more we see our sin and the more we see our desperate need for a savior, mm-hmm. 
that God, as we said earlier, he longs for me to see my neediness, not to check in with me and be proud that I don't need him. Mm-hmm. Because when I think I don't need him, I'm really incorrectly surveying my situation. And I, I'm probably minimizing sin in my life. I'm probably overlooking a whole lot of things. But we are desperate for a Savior. Life is broken. The gospel isn't what fixes us on this side of eternity. It's how we manage this side of eternity. Yeah. And and so that's you know, all that to say, working recovery is just daily waking up as a beloved son, Melody as a beloved daughter, saying, Daddy, what do we get to do today? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now we're dependent on him as our father, whereas before we were very much spiritual orphans, thinking God kind of flipped the switch at salvation, mm-hmm. and now he's over there watching how well we're carrying it out. And and it's all up to us to to make it happen. And man, there's so much pressure and so much striving and so much tiredness and and no freedom in that definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm hearing you say the foundation of working recovery is accepting the mercy that is ours in Christ, accepting yes. the grace of God that never runs out and right. and reminding ourselves each and every day who we are in Christ and that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So that's right. so that's where we need to start as opposed to doing, 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 because it's yeah. just futility. Yeah. And yeah. I think sitting in the, the, the definition of, of grace being unmerited favor, when mm-hmm. I can sit there, I don't have any part to play right? because it's there and I've not even done anything for it. That's, that's an awe. I mean, I'm still in awe of that, right? you know, but then to be able to receive that and mm. then walk day in and day out, out of that place. And so it's a complete, completely different thing. I don't do to make him smile. He's smiling. He has given me all that I have and all that I need. And therefore I get to walk from that place. And it's so, Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful and it's so different. Well, and that receptivity allows us to give grace too. Absolutely. Absolutely. When when you've experienced it, it's so easy, much easier to be empathetic. Um, I don't know what it's like to to be an alcoholic, but I certainly know what it's like to have a sin in my life that willpower is not fixing. Right. Right. And so I can have empathy there. But yeah, Yeah. recovery, back to your original question, you know, uh, we have, I I do, uh, I lead a group, but I also attend a group each week because I don't get the same out of it when I, um, I, you know, I'm leading. Mm-hmm. Um, you That's know, an important point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Working the, the the steps. I'm constantly either taking people through the steps, working the steps myself. You know, we love, I found the gospel in the 12 steps. And so anybody, and I used to be the anti 12 steps. That's a bunch of higher power and <laughs> universalism and all this <laughs> stuff until I worked them. And, and actually that's when the gospel really came alive to me mm-hmm. is when I actually started working them. Mm-hmm. You know, steps one, I can't step two, God can step three. I'm going to let him which then freed me to do a step four, a fearless searching moral inventory and to write down my brokenness and write down all that stuff. When you're in a paradigm of minimizing your sin to convince yourself that you can get over around it or through it in order Mm -hmm. to get to God, the last thing you're going to do is a fearless searching moral inventory. Mm -hmm. But when we understand it's not ours to fix, that ours is to just surrender and really to admit that we can't do it. I love Isaiah 55 you know, he who has no money, come buy and eat. It's like the currency of the kingdom is mm-hmm. to admit we have no currency. Right. And it's like, that's what qualifies us. And, and so we love being in recovery ministry because powerlessness is the entry point to the gospel. 
And in so many Christian circles, unfortunately, and this is what we were doing, spending so much energy trying to mm-hmm. convince God and everyone else that we're not powerless, right. that we've got it together. Instead of just telling the truth about ourselves, no, we are powerless. And then that's when Paul's words come to life where we can, in, in our weakness, he is strong yeah. and his power is made perfect in weakness. And so that never made sense until recovery started for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sorry to leave you hanging there on a cliffhanger. But, you know, next week, we're going to revisit this conversation with Trey and Melody, and they're going to share in more detail what happened when Trey broke the news in that counseling office. And when everything in their world fell apart, we're going to hear in more detail about Uh, how reconciliation happened, how they decided to stay together for another full year before Trey ended up having another one night stand and then divorce following. And then we'll pick up the story with more details about what those years, those six years apart looked like for them. Um, I'll give you a little hint. It's going to include a remarriage for Melody and a second divorce for her. And so uh, I really hope you'll set aside the time to come back and join us. I think you're going to find a lot of encouragement from their story. And I know I was personally encouraged. I think what encouraged me the most was how I saw God show up for them again and again. And you know, no matter what we're believing about God, no matter what paradigm is off in our view, he is so gentle and kind and faithful to bring us along in our journey towards reconciliation and wholeness in him. And not only does he allow us and send adversity and, you know, see fit to allow us to fail so that he can eventually bring us to a place, you know, sometimes we have to get to the bottom of ourselves. And God in his infinite sovereignty and wisdom knows what what it takes for us to surrender. And so what we sometimes see or think is his, um, his lack of goodness. It really is his ultimate love and goodness that allows us to be so broken that all we can do is look up and find him. And he is there as soon as we do that. And he reaches down and meets us in the middle of our biggest mess. And he pulls us out and he not only redeems our lives and blesses our lives, but he wants to use us to shine his light to a broken and hurting world. And Trey and Melody are doing that in such a beautiful way. I'm just so thrilled that technology allowed me to find them. And so I want you to know all the links to their information is in the podcast um, episode post. You can go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 63. You can find everything, including links to um, their podcast, which is amazing. The Undone Redone podcast. It's on iTunes and Stitcher as well. Uh, they offer coaching services to people, and I've put links on that. They uh, Melody has this amazing course called Life Beyond Betrayal. You know, if you are facing a situation or maybe you know someone who has recently discovered that they've been betrayed. Uh, You know, Melody has created a 30-day course that you get an email every single day. She has songs and music, and we're going to talk about more of that next week. Um, But uh, 
you know, I have a link to that. And then Trey has an in-person ministry to men. And so men fly to where he lives in Alabama to a retreat center, and they spend a four-day intensive unpacking the baggage that uh, men are face when it comes to pornography addiction and sexual addiction and all all that's wrapped up into that and they um, provide accountability and just it's amazing it's amazing what can happen when you go to an intensive like that because you can really deal with a lot of things on a really deep level in a shorter period of time and you feel like you make more progress Uh, because you know life doesn't stop when these tragedies happen we still have to function we still have to work we still have to do all the things that are our responsibilities and so that's the advantage of the intensives. Anyway, all that to say, check out the post there, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 63. All the links are there so you can connect with them, all their social media. They're incredible. I hope you follow them and track them down. And I hope to see you or actually hear you. Do I not really get to hear you? I wish this was a two-way conversation so much. Let's make it a two-way conversation. Email me, visit the blog, leave a comment. I'm still writing all this month, every single day. If if you've missed a post or you uh, you know want to subscribe, you can go, oh, you can text to subscribe if you want to get it in your inbox. So all you do is get out your phone, you text the words subscribe mud stories to the number 33444. And I'll just send you all the posts automatically to your email. And I'd be more than happy to do that. And but jump over to the blog and, and let's have a conversation. That's what I want. I want to engage with you. I want to know, you know, what you're facing and what you're dealing with and what you think about what I'm writing and, and how I can better serve you. I'm always interested. What can I do to serve you? And so Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for being here and and engaging and listening. And um, you're my people. And I'm so very thankful for you. And so as usual, I close every show with this phrase and the following song called The Grateful Song, which by the way, my amazing husband wrote and we recorded together. So if you've, if you've never stayed and listened to it, I'd encourage you to. And the kids sing on it too. I'm just so thankful. So anyway, whatever it is that you're facing today, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, let's together find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. I can't wait to see you next week. Never in you ever feels a press upon my mind A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never any mother feels a press upon my mind. That leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my
song 